Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. You know, they played that music at the first service. I should have timed my arrival here a little bit better. But good morning, everybody. Like I said, my name is Gino Allison. My wife and I pastor the South Suburban Vineyard Church in Chicago, in, in the Chicago area. We bring you greetings from our church this morning. Uh, I'm so honored to be here with you this morning uh, because this is home for us. We were sent out of this house, and so I consider myself a son of this house, and so it's good to be home. I just want to publicly say thank you to Happy and I, who are spiritual parents, for their investment, and not just us personally, but in our local church. And I also want to just thank uh, Julie and Mike uh, for inviting me here this morning. It's so good to be here. I'm especially privileged to be invited to continue this series that you guys are calling Citizens of Heaven. When Putty called me a few months ago, I was really, I remember being really impressed that you guys were taking some time out to have a candid conversation about uh, faith and politics. Uh, it's particularly impressive to me uh, because many churches and pastors these days pride themselves on how well they've managed to stay away from conversations about politics and race and hot-button issues. And I'm not throwing any shade this morning, but I just don't think that's anything to be proud of. Because I believe that a faithful preacher preaches with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. That is not to say that we're preaching from the newspaper. That would be absolutely ridiculous. But it does mean that we have a responsibility to help you frame the issues of the day and the craziness that's happening in the world around us in light of God's word and his timeless truth. That is also to say that if we're left to ourselves, we typically do the opposite. We look at God, God's word through the lens of what's happening in the world around us. And so I believe faithful preachers take the responsibility. We feel responsible to frame the craziness in light of the gospel. And I don't know about you, but there's been a whole lot of craziness this year. 2020 has been one of those years, right? We're sitting in the midst of a months-long global pandemic. We've had issue after issue, major racial incidents that have caused people to take this to the streets in both violent and, and peaceful protests. Not to mention, we are currently sitting in one of the most turbulent political moments in our history, where the stakes of this particular election cycle seem impossibly high. And because of that reason, it would seem spiritually irresponsible to ignore this moment as people of Christian faith. And so it makes sense that we would pause and talk candidly about politics. Here, here's why. I think Di said it best last week. She says, politics is important because politics affects policies. Policies affect real people, and God loves people. And for those reasons alone, I believe that it's appropriate to pause our regularly scheduled program to talk politics, not just to aimlessly, recklessly talk about politics, 
but to examine how we as citizens of the kingdom of God, remember we've been talking about our dual citizenship, right? We're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we're also citizens here in America. How our citizenship in the kingdom of God is supposed to help us appropriate our earthly citizenship and political engagement, letting, of course, our kingdom citizenship inform how we choose to show up in this crazy political moment. I think that's important. And I also think that this moment can teach us something if we let it. When I was a boy, uh, I remember having, uh, there was a big picture of Dr. King uh, in our living room. Walk out of your bedroom and there's a big picture of Dr. King or you walk into our house, a big picture of Dr. King. And beneath that picture of Dr. King was one of his famous quotes. And this quote has really served to shape my life even as a young man up until my adulthood. And this quote goes like this. King says, the measure of a man or woman is not where he or she stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where he or she stands at times of challenge and controversy. I read that again. The measure of a man or woman is not where he or she stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where he or she stands at times of challenge and controversy. And I love this quote. And I basically think what King is saying is it's hard to really know who you are. It's hard to really know what you're made of when everything's going well. When you're swinging in life's hammock of convenience and comfort, it's hard to know what you're really made of and what you really need to work on. But there's something about challenge, right? There's something about controversy. There's something about crisis and friction and disagreement that has a very unique and I think spiritual way of showing us what we're really made of, what's really on the inside of us, and more importantly, what we need to work on. And so in this crazy political moment that we're in right now, we can choose to be grumpy and complain about it, or we can choose to let God redeem this crazy moment for his glory and for our good. What I see in this moment, what it reveals about us, what it reveals about the church at large, is that we don't really disagree well, do we? Uh, we don't really disagree well. And the evidence of this is thousands of denominations of the Christian church, which suggests that when we don't agree with something, we just start another one. Somebody makes us mad, we just go down the street and do it all over again, right? Let's press in a little bit deeper. The evidence of this is our segregation in the church. Racially, culturally, ideologically, and especially politically, Sunday morning is said to be one of the most political hours of the entire week where the church bell rings and all of us go to our convenient corners of sameness to worship the God that made us all. How crazy is that? And so the truth is, because of those realities, we haven't been discipled well in the fine art of holding space for difference. We haven't been taught, we haven't been good students of how to hold space for difference, which is also to say that we don't know how to have sharp disagreement, especially when it comes to hot-button issues like race and politics and plug any other issue in there. If you're like me, you're constantly wrestling with this question. How in the world do I even begin to navigate the choppy waters of politics and relate well to other people in the face of sharp disagreement as a person of Christian faith? If you're honest today, you would say, preacher, I really struggle with that. 
if you're really honest today, you say, I, I need the Spirit of God this morning to arrest some things within me. I need the Lord to confront some things. I need him to shine more light on this. I need him to transform me from the inside out. And that's what I hope we can work on this morning with a message that I'm simply calling holding space for difference. Holding space for difference. I think it's an important aspect of this conversation on faith and politics. I'm going to be in a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles if you're old school. Uh, I'm not at all concerned if you have your tablets or you're interacting with the scriptures that way. We'll also be projecting the scriptures up here. But Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. Meet me there. And while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we invite your presence. Holy Spirit, would you come today? We give you permission to do the heavy lifting. We surrender our hearts and our minds that you might transform us. Father, I pray that this morning, as some difficult truth is presented, that we would stick around and we would stay put. That our hearts would be soft landing places for the word that you want to speak today. May we not leave this place the same. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 1. Paul says this, is there any encouragement from being belonging to Christ? He's talking to Christians. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. He continues in verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is an interesting text, and I'll admit that it's one of my favorite texts because it is applicable to almost all of our life together in the context of Christian community. And in this particular text that we read today, Paul starts with a series of rhetorical questions. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort in his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, Paul is asking rhetorical questions. He's not waiting around for answers. He knows the answer, yes, right? There is comfort in his love. There is all these things, fellowship together in the spirit. Hearts are tender and compassionate. But Paul says, if you get anything at all out of being a Christian, and I'm sure you do, if you get anything at all out of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you do, Paul said, do me a favor. Do me a solid, will you? He says, then make me happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. And basically what Paul is saying to us is so much of what God demands that we respond to him concerning, in other words, as citizens of the kingdom, our response to God oftentimes centers on how well we treat the other humans. I know we love to be in our prayer closets with our prayer shawl, and we love to just meet with Jesus. But a good chunk of how we're supposed to respond to God as citizens of his kingdom centers itself on how well we relate to the other humans. Now, some of you might be saying, Preacher, you're confusing me this morning. You started this talking about disagreement, 
and how we're supposed to hold space for different. But Paul seems to say that we have to agree about everything. I'm confused. I can see how you're confused. Let me clear it up. Paul is not saying that we have to agree about everything. After all, he's talking about unity in the faith, which means that Paul is insisting that minimally we agree about the main things. I'll say that again. He's talking about unity in the faith. So minimally, he's talking about agreeing on the main things or what Hap says all the time, the main and the plain. You say, well, preacher, what's the main and the plain? Christ and him crucified, resurrected and reigning. Our call to continue Christ's ministry to the lost and the least, to the power of the Spirit, our commitment to be great witnesses to the world for the sake of the mission, those are the main things. We say, what's the problem? The problem is we keep adding to the list of main things, <laughs> things that God didn't intend to be on that list. Your political leanings, your understanding of how life works from your vantage or your side of the tracks, you keep adding to that list and then you weaponize that list as a measuring stick for everybody else. Paul says, listen, if we can agree on the main things, we can work everything else out. But we can't seem to agree on the main things, can we? Unity in the faith, agree on the main things, and we can work everything else out. I think if we lean into this text today, we can get some help from heaven as to how to get better at holding space for difference. I want to give you two pro tips this morning that will help you better walk this out. The first pro tip is be humble. Somebody say, "Be be humble. Even you online, you can type it down in the chat if you want. Be humble. Man, have I had to grow in this one. I would love to stand here today and tell you that I've arrived, that the finished work of Christ has completed my humility, but my wife is sitting right there, and she will testify that I've got just a little bit more work to do. Be humble. My guess is that in a room this size, a few of us in here need some work on being humble, which is why Paul says, don't be selfish. And that hits everybody in the room. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. And how might the landscape of all of our human interactions with other people be different if we just put this into practice in our life? Be humble. This is true because the essence of humility, especially in this realm, in the Christian realm, especially when we're dealing with hot-button issues, the essence of humility is to take up less space than you want to take up. How's that for a word picture? The essence of humility is to take up less space than you want to take up. And this is hard for us because we're Americans, baby. We, we like to take up space. We like to let people know we're in the building. I'm here. Right? And so this is hard for us. To take up less space, which is also say to leave space, which is also say, to say to hold space. You say hold space for what, preacher? To hold space for what I don't know yet. And I often thank God that there was no social media around when I was in my teens and 20s. Because it would have captured forever the things that I was sure of then. And very wrong about, might I add. Sure and wrong. That's a bad combination. I remember as a, as a teenager, as I tried to argue with my father, who was 
way wiser than me about things that he knew, that I thought I knew. He would just stop the argument and he'd say, just keep living, young punk, just keep living. <laughs> As if to say, life will teach you, really teach you what you think you already know. The whole space for what I don't know yet. Because the opposite of humility is pride, and pride is marked by an arrogant ignorance. It's one thing to be humbly ignorant. I don't know, but I'm open. Teach me. An arrogant ignorance you don't know, and you don't know that you don't know. Pride's companion is cynicism. And cynicism proudly says, I already know. And pride and cynicism together are uncomfortable with mystery. And so they lazily fill in the space with self-serving facts. They lazily go groping on weird websites to buoy their position because they're uncomfortable with mystery. They're uncomfortable with I don't know. They're uncomfortable with holding space for difference, holding space for the unknown. Pride and cynicism makes you an expert on things that you couldn't possibly be an expert on. Particularly, this is true in the realm of politics and multi-layer complicated issues and pains and hurts and, and, and policies that are complicated and multi-layered. All of a sudden, everybody's an expert on race. All of a sudden, everybody's an expert on economics and gender issues, and sexual orientation. Listen, I've been a black man the, my whole life, and I, I'm not an expert on blackness yet. I'm certainly not an expert on whiteness. I've heard stories. <laughs> I know a few. I'm married to one, but I'm no expert. I'm still figuring me out. I've been a man my whole life, and I'm, I'm not an expert on masculinity. I certainly, heaven knows I'm not an expert on women, the female species. I'm still in remedial classes. <laughs> and I can say that with a little bit of humor, but with honesty, because life is teaching me to hold space for difference and to relinquish my desire to want to be experts on things that I couldn't possibly be experts on. Humility, the fruit of Christian love, one of the fruit that the Spirit is at work in your life budgets for the fact that there's likely more to the story than what I've heard yet. There's likely more layers to these really complicated issues and complicated realities than I've had the time to explore yet. Humility says one fact more about a person would completely change how I view that person. Humility said, if I just knew one fact more about an issue, one fact more about a particular group of people, one fact more about a particular group of people's pain, it would radically, it would radically change how I view them and that issue. I might not change my position, but I would understand. How many of you know you talk to people differently when you understand them? You talk about them differently when you understand them. Holding space! One fact more, pressing a little further. Humility resists the urge to be lazy and file down complex issues and complex policies and complex racial, cultural realities 
uh, to something bite-sized and something e more easy for you to manage. That's lazy. That's not humble because there's no space. There's no space. And so some of you say, preacher, I, I, I'm tracking with you. I think I get this, but how do I know if I'm walking in humility in this realm? How do I know if I'm being humble? Well, I'll illustrate it this way. When I, was, uh, when I came here, moved here from Chicago in 99 to go to the uh, University of Illinois, one of the things I noticed on my floor is that a lot of the guys had guitars. And they weren't even playing the guitars. I was like, what a waste. I would play that guitar if I had a guitar. So I told my dad, Dad, give me a guitar. So for Christmas, he got me a guitar. A guy on the floor taught me a few chords, and I just took to it. I was learning guitar. I was learning a few riffs. I was sounding good to me. I would even take my guitar home and let my mom hear it. She said, baby, you sound good. You should make a CD. <laughs> I said, well, I might make a CD. But I was sounding good to me, but I didn't realize I was just practicing the, the same song, the stuff that made me sound good, the riffs that were, right? And I really didn't know how good or bad I was until I tried to play with a band. Jim Wood, who used to be the worship pastor here, invited me to join the worship team. And honestly, I don't even think they were plugging me in for those first two months. <laughs> And it was a disorienting experience to play with a band for the first time. Because when you're in your room, all you got to keep time with is you. All you got to be in tune with is you. And it's true that you don't know how good you are as a musician until you what? Play with other people. Same is true with humility. You don't know how humble you are until you play with other folks. Can I press in a little bit deeper? I'm going anyway. You don't know how humble you are until you play with different people. I'm talking about, I mean, listen, we're, we naturally are tribal, like right? we like to hang with our kind of people, people who are like us, people who like us. But the real tests of humility, the real measure of who we are, as King said, is not where we stand when we're convenient and comfortable, but it's who we are in the midst of challenge and controversy and you don't know how humble you are until you get to play with other different people here's the challenge We're, many of us live very homogeneous lives we live in echo chambers of our own opinions they're constantly being reinforced and so while you play well with others they're not like other others and some of us never get to test this out and some of us don't have any reps at holding space for difference because we are surrounded by people who like us and people who are like us this leads me to my second pro tip if you want to get better at holding space for difference you got to get proximate somebody say get proximate now, proximate is just a $6 word that means get close. It means lean in. Everything that Paul is talking about is our response to God as to how we're supposed to relate to others in this discipline of holding space. You can't phone, you can't phone this in. You can't zoom this in. 
You can't FaceTime this in like this is a contact sport. Like if we're going to be reconciled to other kinds of people, you're going to have to rub up against the things that you're to be reconciled with. This is a contact sport. And I know we're social distancing. But within the family of faith, proximity and closeness is a must. So put your mask on. Keep your distance. But get as close as the CDC will allow because we have some things to work out. God demands it. He demands it. At a time when nobody would blame us if we pulled away. All the craziness, Trump, Biden, the vitriol in the debates, the crazy ads, race riots in the streets, nobody would blame us if we pulled away today. Everybody would understand if we huddled with folks who were like us. Everybody would get it except the Father. Because it doesn't work between us and him unless it works with like you and me. Everybody would understand except him. There's this powerful prophetic picture in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah gives it as a powerful picture of what the kingdom is going to look like when it is fully realized. We wait for that day. We groan for that day when all the division and strife will cease. I love this prophetic picture. I want to read it to you. Isaiah 11, verse 6, he says, In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. I want to let that marinate for a second. Let that sink in. As we look at this prophetic picture, which contains for us a list of contrasting opposites members of the animal kingdom that are instinctively and naturally at odds with one another, the wolf and the lamb, leopard and the goat, the calf, the lion, the cow, the bear, the child and the snake, and might I add for the purposes of this discussion, the elephant and the donkey. Something about the kingdom coming that presses those which were at odds with one another by instinct, by birth, presses them in to one another, not to war, but to hang out, to enjoy each other's company. And as I process this, I go, what has to change on the inside of these creatures in order that they might do that with comfort and with ease? And the Lord says they need a new nature in order to do that. The Father says they need new instincts they must have new appetites. They've got to unlearn some things that they were taught. They have to be vulnerable. And says, okay, Lord, this is the, what's going to happen in the animal world. What is the implication for the humans? 
that those who were at odds with one another from birth, whether that be political, whether that be racial, whether that be cultural, whether that be socioeconomic, whether that be gender or generational, what's got to happen on the inside of us so that we might play nice together? And the Lord said the same thing. They need a new nature. They need new instincts. They need new appetites. They have to unlearn some things that they were born with. They need to be vulnerable. The lion, excuse me, the wolf is going to lay down with the lamb. Some things have got to change. Amen? Minimally, the wolf's got to take the lamb off the menu. <laughs> Minimally, the lamb's got to release uh, his suspicion of the wolf. A lot's got to change at the gut level so that these things that were at odds may hang together. That's what's got to happen for us. Now, I believe that we're supposed to... Now, this is a picture of what's going to happen in the kingdom fully comes, but I feel like we're supposed to contend for this now. We're supposed to contend for this now that his kingdom might come and his will might be done because this is his perfect will for us. The last few decades of my life have been marked by holding space for difference. It started around 99 when I moved here from the blackety-black south, south side of Chicago to Urbana, Illinois. My whole life was turned upside down. And so now I'm a Jesus-loving black man, married to a Jesus-loving white woman with four mixed Jesus-loving kids. I don't know about the three-year-old. I got to check with him, right? <laughs> And we pastor a really diverse church full of really different Jesus-loving folks. My whole life is an exercise in the slow, awkward, tedious work of holding space for difference. It's funny, in our church, we enjoy all this racial harmony until something happens. Another black person shot down by a white officer. And then you see what you're really made of in that community. We got to sit people down and we have to work it out because we've got back the blue folks and we've got people who are scared to roll their windows down when they get pulled over by a police officer. That's like what's within the family of faith. We got Trump folks and we got Biden folks. We got sanctity of life folks and folks who feel like you should choose for yourself. Like we got everything that you could think of under our roof. And so our whole life is marked by learning to make space for difference. I'm saying that to let you know that you're talking to a credible, you, you talk, you're hearing from a credible witness. This is not my red. This is something we're living out. But I'll also say that this is exhausting work and that it takes a long, long time to get good at this. I will also say that there's no other way that I would like to be living my life. I am utterly ruined in the best possible way because this is the kingdom. And if the church doesn't contend for those that were at odds once, pressing in together, holding space for each other. If the church doesn't contend for it, baby, we are, we are lost. 
We are utterly lost. It's the argument that I'm making is this is not something that we can just hope for in the sweet by and by when Jesus comes and all the war ceases and all the racial tension is over. This is something that we can contend for now by pressing into humility and pressing into proximity with each other. I've said a lot. Let me land this thing. Where is God calling you to be more humble this morning? And what areas of your life and in your thinking and your worldview is God challenging you to take up less space, to surrender your expert status, and to get better at holding space for difference? Who is God challenging you to get proximate with? And my guess is that the Spirit of God is already putting faces and names in your mind, real people, family, friends, coworkers, people in your small group, people in this church, who are they? This is a very important component of our faith and politics discussion. Don't miss it. And we're going to pray that the Spirit of God continues to come and do the heavy lifting. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for how you arrest us. Thank you for how you don't let us wiggle out of these hard, difficult, awkward things but you have us on mission. You have us here for a purpose. And we are here to demonstrate to the unbelieving world how to press in in the face of difference, how to hold space for difference. Father, we're so weak in this area. We need your guidance. We give you permission to confront us. And as we worship you today, in response to all you have done for us, I pray that you would continue to till the soil of our heart so that we could be your hands and your feet. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.